0: what's to stop the big 10 because there's no structure really when it comes to this scheduling format it's kind of well you play them this year and then next year you don't and then the year after that you do and then you can kind of give off the impression fair or unfair that you can stack the deck for the teams that are likely to make a playoff run Welcome in. It's always college football right here in the middle of June. So much that we need to get to, including a big story from last week, the Big Ten 2024 schedule release. We don't spend a ton of time, by the way. We're not going to spend a ton of time on next year. I mean, we still have so much to look forward to, things to break down, competitions. But hey, it's June. Let's talk a little about their scheduling format. Some of the pros, some of the cons, some of the things I like, the matchups that I like. One notable omission from the matchups that were protected that I feel like we have to have as college football fans. We're also going to get into the mailbag a bunch that we need to get to, including a conversation about Pacific Northwest joining the Big 12. How about the fact that Texas and Texas A&M's rivalry has been away, gone for 12 years, and yet... The level of cattiness that's still applied to the rivalry is about as good as it gets. And then we're going to also talk a little bit about Notre Dame changing at the top there with new athletic director stepping in here in 2024. Mark Kubiak, Jack Foster, Jake Garcia. I'm Greg McElroy. We have a terrific show in store for you today. And like I've told you already the last couple of weeks, and we've seen the review numbers go up, we have so appreciated you guys taking a couple minutes out of your time to write a review on the podcast platform. If you're on Apple Podcast, leave us a rating, write a review. That'd be phenomenal for us. If you're on Spotify, leave us a rating. Wherever you get your podcast, leave us a rating. It really goes a long way in helping us continue to grow. We're almost at a year right now. Our numbers are going up. The podcast numbers are through the roof. We're all surprised by how much it's grown, but we're all very excited about the support that you guys have shown us. We don't have a marketing department. You guys are our marketing department. So tell your friends about Always College Football. We'll continue to provide college football content on a year-round basis. Let's not waste any additional time. Big 10 2024 scheduling breakdown is next. Obviously, so much of our attention is going to be paid to the 2023 season. It's coming up in just a couple of weeks, y'all. We're going to be there before we know it, but why not take a little time here in June to fast forward to 2024, especially when the opportunity has now presented itself in diving into the Big Ten schedule. Look at some of the games that are going to be played Here, just a year from now, as the Big Ten moves into a new era, of course, welcoming in USC, UCLA, a lot to be kind of shaken out when it comes to the scheduling process. They decided to go with a little bit more of a unique model. They call it the Flex Protect Plus. Now, I'm going to tell you a few reasons why I like it. I'm going to tell you a couple things that concern me about it. But for the most part, let's give the Big Ten a round of applause. It's unique. It's different. Not saying it's as different as it was 10 years ago when they went legends and leaders, but it's unique. One thing that I would like to applaud them on is protecting certain matchups. Now, there are 11 matchups that are protected by the Big Ten. I'm going to go in no particular order. Michigan, Ohio State, clearly an important game to the league. Got to protect that one. USC, UCLA. UCLA. Clearly important, got to protect it. Minnesota-Wisconsin, also a rivalry game, one that needs to be protected. The in-state rivalry in Indiana between Indiana and Purdue. Michigan-Michigan State, also a game that is protected. Iowa-Minnesota, Illinois and Northwestern, Iowa-Nebraska, which I didn't realize was a massive rivalry until these 11 matchups were put forth. I also, by the way, didn't realize that Iowa had so many rivals but that's a conversation that we can have again here in just a minute. Maryland and Rutgers, who isn't excited for that one? Iowa, Wisconsin, and then Illinois, Purdue. Now, these are the 11 games that are protected on an annual basis. Notable games that are missing. Penn State and Ohio State. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand that Ohio State, Michigan is going to be at or near the top. But how is it that arguably your third, maybe your fourth biggest brand, depending on the year, Ohio State, USC, Michigan, Penn State, those are the four big, grand pres. Like Those are the four massive brands, at least in recent years. I know Nebraska fans are saying, well, what about us? I, I get it. You've been great, historically great. No denying that. There have been great years for Maryland. There's been great years for plenty of other programs, Michigan State. There's been a handful of other great teams and great seasons, but your four biggest brands, their most reliable brands, are the four that I just mentioned. You got Michigan, Ohio State, in no particular order, by the way. So Ohio State, Michigan, I know you guys get all bent out of shape about that. Ohio State, Michigan, USC, and Penn State. Those are the marquees. And to think that Penn State does not have any rivals is pretty wild to me. Meanwhile, Iowa has three that are built in. We already talked about. Iowa, Wisconsin, that's every year. Iowa, Nebraska, that's every year. Iowa, Minnesota, that's every year. How is it that Penn State has none? Now, that's okay because they're still going to make sure that they go and they play in all these different venues and play in all these different games and matchups and all this other stuff on a year-in, year-out basis. And you look to and how they kind of prioritized some of the games out West, every single team in the first two years will be traveling out West. Whether it be to UCLA or or USC, everyone's going to get to make that West Coast road trip. Now, a couple scheduling items of note when looking at all of this. They have maintained, and I'm not 100% sure exactly how they're going to do this. I've run the math. I've tried to look at it. And I'm not 100% sure how it's going to work itself out but they have maintained that you will play in every single stadium over a four-year period. That's been a real huge talking point, not just for the Big Ten, but also for the SEC. Long has it been a priority within scheduling that you will make the road trip every four years. Now, I understand why that's important. Why? Because Ohio State going to your venue is going to sell a tremendous amount of tickets and generate a tremendous amount of interest for all the road teams in the Big Ten. I get that. But how many, is this Is this for the players or is this for the schools? Because it they've always said, well, the players should have the opportunity to play in every single stadium. Fine, I, I, I guess. But right now, in 2023 and 2024 and likely in 2025, how many guys are staying at a school for four years? Why is that still a priority? Why is it still being mentioned as of the utmost importance. week like we got to go to every single stadium every four years. Well, why? Like, pick and choose accordingly. Also, one other aspect of it. The reason why I don't love this model, I think it's unique, and I'm glad that they protected some matchups. I wish they would have protected more. Ohio State, Penn State in particular, think about over the last seven, eight, nine years, with the exception of the last two, Of course, Ohio State-Michigan, the last two years, off the charts good. But the biggest thorn in Ohio State's side over the last eight years or so has been Penn State. Of course, they won the Big Ten back in 2016. They have had tremendous seasons under James Franklin, including most recently winning the Rose Bowl this past season. So that's a game that has been so important, so, so important for the league over the last handful of seasons. Now we're just going to let it go away. Now, don't love that which there were more protected games, but they gave us 11. I can live with that. But what's to stop the Big Ten? Because there's no structure, really, when it comes to this scheduling format. It's kind of, well, you play them this year, and then next year you don't, and then the year after that you do, and then you can kind of give off the impression, fair or unfair, that you can stack the deck for the teams that are likely to make a playoff run. Now, you clearly have two playoff contenders that will play every year, Ohio State and Michigan. We know that. We know that Michigan also has to play what should be a very difficult game against Michigan State annually. So Michigan has two built-in rivals that will be significant and difficult games for them. But if you're Ohio State, you know you have Michigan, but what's to stop the Big Ten from giving you eight very manageable opponents in order to best curb things to allow them an easier pathway to the playoff. Now, if you go with a traditional model and you go with, hey, we're going to go with a three plus six, nine game conference schedule, you play three permanent opponents every single year, home and away, every other year you rotate. And then every other year, you play the remaining 12 teams. Six one year, six the next year, and you rotate every single season. If you have years in which, Say, look at Georgia's twenty three schedule, if you might, if you will. Look at Georgia's twenty three schedule. That's a remarkably manageable schedule. Remarkably, okay, non conference, very gettable. You have Georgia Tech as your rival at the end of the season. Then your toughest game within the league is a road trip to Tennessee. There at the beginning of November, but everybody looks at Georgia's schedule and say, "Man, that's a really manageable schedule." Well, the reason why it's manageable is because it just worked out that way this year. Their home games are the trickier games, and their road games, sure, the Tennessee game, probably the toughest game on the schedule, but it's just worked out. But you can justify it because it corrects the following year. You know exactly what the schedule is going to be a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. You know, because it's laid out right in front of you. There's a structure that's easy to comprehend and easy to digest. But if you're just kind of throwing matchups against the wall, It'd be very easy for you to say, "Well, here's our best playoff contender. They have a really difficult game with with Michigan, but hey, you know, what? let's take the other eight games and make them a little bit more manageable. We'll give them the tough games at home. We'll give them the more difficult game, uh, We'll give them the diff- tougher games at home. We'll get the more manageable games on the road, and we'll try to line it up accordingly to make sure our best playoff contender is well positioned to make a playoff run." I'm not saying that's what the Big Ten's doing, by the way. I'm just saying. If the structure is easy to digest and it feels less, quote, random, then you probably won't have as many naysayers. Hey, the schedule's pretty gettable this year for Ohio State, but guess what? Next year, it's going to be a whole heck of a lot tougher. I remember having these conversations about Auburn in the last handful of seasons. They had to go to Georgia and to Alabama in the same season. So basically, you looked at Auburn and say, yeah, they're not going to be in the mix this year because this is one of those odd years where they have to go to Georgia and to Alabama. So you can just kind of check them off this year. And then in the even years, they get them both at home. That's when they would have to make a run. I actually believe that was flipped. So the odd years, they had them at home. The even years, they got them on the road. Still, whatever it was, it was the same season. So their likelihood of them making a run in those years was a lot more manageable. So I just caution the Big Ten. They're going to be fluid. They're going to be trying to figure this out. They're going to iron out wrinkles as they see fit. But I hope that there's a more digestible structure down the road so that there won't be people cherry-picking at the, quote, weakness of some of their playoff contender schedules. It's going to happen. It's not going to be right. It's not going to be necessarily fair. But that's going to happen. The naysayers are going to find reasons to complain. And if you don't have a digestible scheduling model, people are gonna be coming out of the woodwork. But there's a few things of note that I'm excited about here. All right, Nebraska hasn't played at UCLA since 2012. I'm excited about that. UCLA will travel in 2024, by the way. This is a wild stat. They will travel nearly 27,000 miles with road trips to Hawaii, LSU, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, Rutgers. Okay, that is fairly significant. I talked about the softness or the perceived softness of some of the scheduling that Ohio State might have to deal with. How about their 24 schedule? They have a non-conference schedule that includes Southern Miss, Western Michigan, and Marshall. They have home games against Iowa and Michigan. Then they go to Penn State, by far the toughest game on the schedule. And then they go to UCLA, who I think will be ready to be a contender, at least to be in you know seven, eight wins, perhaps in the Big Ten, but not necessarily at this point a contender to actually win the Big Ten or get a spot in the conference championship game. So the perception is that Ohio State's schedule in 24 is fairly gettable. You look at some of the other games that I wish were protected. I wish badly we could have found a way to protect Ohio State-Penn State. I already talked about that. I wish badly we could have figured out a way to get Ohio State and USC on the schedule every year. Why? Because that game is going to do a mammoth number. Mammoth. And in the television world where eyeballs are everything, I would love to see SC and I'd love to see Ohio State on the field at the same time. Same reason why in the SEC, I want to see the best teams playing the best teams on an annual basis. I would love for Georgia and Alabama to play each other every single year in the regular season. I would love for Bama and LSU to play each other every single year in the regular season. I want those games to be protected. I understand natural rivalries. I know geographic rivalries. I get that. But if we can create rivalries amongst the best teams, that I think would be the best for college football as we move forward. For instance, you look at the NFL scheduling model. They take the best team, in the division, they also have to play the following year, the winners of the divisions. So if you finish first, you play the, say you're the Kansas City Chiefs. You finish first in the AFC West. Well, guess what? You have to play the first place team of the AFC South, the first place team of the AFC North, and the first place team of the AFC East. If you finish second, you play the second, second, second. You finish third, you finish third, third, third. That's why there's great parody in the NFL. Because the better season you had, the more difficult your schedule will become the following year. I'd love to see that practice instituted, not just in the Big Ten, but throughout college football. Now, maybe someday we'll get there, but at this point, I like what the Big Ten's done. Grand old takeaway, it's a good, solid format. But they did leave, I think, a few matchups that would have been highly compelling off the schedule in the near term, But man, hopefully in 25, 26, they reevaluate and we make sure that those games are games that we get annually as a diehard college football fan. All right.
1: I don't think the Big Ten did USC any favors on their schedule. You said you wanted to see USC and Ohio State play every year. But if you look at the 2024 schedule for USC, they already play LSU on a neutral site game. They're playing Notre Dame at home. Then they're at Penn State. And then also, oh, by the way, you're welcoming in Michigan and Wisconsin. Like, that's such a fun schedule. And I, I, tell me if I'm wrong here, but pretty big step up from what the Pac-12 schedule is. Is that fair to say?
0: Yeah, but I mean, what what do you want? I mean, you wanted to play Indiana, Rutgers, you know, uh, Northwestern. I mean, you got to have some marquee matchups. Like, I don't, I looked at all the schedules and I looked at, at, I, obviously, we already referenced it. I think UCLA's got the toughest schedule, right? <laughs> just given the travel and, and some of the challenges. And we don't know when these games are going to be played. We don't know the dates just yet. But I felt like UCLA got the short end of the stick. But at the same time, I looked at SC's schedule compared to that of Michigan's, compared to that of Penn State's, compared to that of some of the other, quote, contenders in the Big Ten. And I didn't feel like SC's schedule was any more difficult than what you would have to play if you were Penn State. Granted, you have that built-in rivalry with Notre Dame. Yes, very difficult game, naturally. But then again, yeah, it's a huge step up from what they've played in the past. But I didn't feel like they got a tougher draw than anybody else in the league. I actually felt like they did a pretty good job of trying to balance things out and trying to create continuity and consistency so that everybody's schedule was moderately difficult. And we were also referenced too, and keep this in mind, Ohio State's schedule feels like the most gettable, right? Feels like the most attainable 12-0, and okay? They actually feel like they can do it. Potentially, if things go their way in 24, it feels like the stars could align. And they could find themselves back in the college football playoff mix with an 11-1, 12-1, 12-0, 13 0, 12 1, whatever the schedule is. They look like things are lining up for them really nicely. 1 0 why? Because Ohio State's not on the schedule. Ohio State doesn't play themselves. People always complain about, well, Georgia's got such an easy pathway. Look at how easy it is. Bama's got such an easy pathway. Look at how easy it is. Yeah, because they don't have to play themselves. When you look at Ole Miss's schedule and they got to play at Bama against. LSU. Yeah, that's really tough, (laughs) naturally, because great team you got to play against is in your division or is on your schedule. So I do think the best teams, the perception is their schedule is always going to be more manageable because the best team isn't on their schedule. So Ohio State, I think, has a somewhat favorable draw. But then again, I think the Big Ten did a pretty adequate job of trying to balance it out across the board. I just am still a little puzzled as to why they protected some games and why they left a few others off the schedule.
1: One more thing I want to hit you with here, and that's kind of this, and it's looking way ahead, because we know how when the season starts, there's always the politicking from conferences about our strength of schedule. Well, next year, there happens to be three really big SEC versus Big Ten games, and it just worked out that way. I mentioned LSU-USC, Alabama's going to Wisconsin, and Texas is at Michigan. And if you throw in Notre Dame visiting Texas A&M, are those four games going to play a bigger role in kind of determining strength of schedule and conference superiority than they may have in the past? Because normally we see a lot of big 10 SEC games, maybe in bowl games, but like three big ones plus a Notre Dame AM early in the season feels like it could play out uh, in a big way for the college football. Player. Why are
0: you putting Notre Dame in the big 10? That's what I'm trying to figure out first and foremost. I just
1: said it's a big game. You know, well, I'm just, ge- saying, you just said big speaking.
0: 10 SEC conference supremacy. Well, I don't believe Notre Dame has any say whatsoever in the conference supremacy argument, given the fact that they're independent. But if you're trying to put them in the Big Ten, I'm good with that. That's fine with me. Uh, we well, listen for the mailbag later. But okay, <laughs> go ahead. Fair enough. I don't think, at this point, you can add extra fuel on the fire. For instance, the Big Ten SEC conference superiority conversation has always been significant, and it's always been based on performance in non-conference games. And... In bowl games as well. And how many times have we seen Iowa go down and take care of business in the Outback Bowl and the Big Ten fans are pounding their chest? How many times have we seen an SEC team take care of business against a Big Ten team in a bowl game and they chant SEC after the fact? You also see it in in the regular season as well. And there's been a huge emphasis too by these athletic directors and I want to applaud them because you got the sense for a while there mid 2000s all the way through the 2010s there were so many early season games that are played in neutral sites i mean that and that was a huge huge benefit to the teams that were invited to do so cuz you get a big old check right there for showing up and playing in that non conference game in a neutral site but now the emphasis has been strengthening season ticket sales and strengthening your own home schedule. So you're seeing more and more home and homes, and you'll continue to see that throughout the next 10 years. If you look at the schedules that have already been made and the agreements that have already been signed, we have a lot of home and homes to look forward to over the next 10, 12 years in college football. And I applaud the athletic directors for being uh, out in front with that charge. But at the same time, I, I don't think that because of the new era that we're living in, those games now mean more. To the conference supremacy argument. I also counter by saying, is the conference supremacy argument important anymore? Does it matter? Because now we're seeing, and I I hate that this could potentially go away, and it's always going to be a a, something that people are going to gravitate towards. I get that. That's college football. We argue, we debate. That's three-quarters of the fun of it. But if there's a 12-team playoff, then Does this conference supremacy argument matter? Because there have been times in the past, this past year, for instance, the Big Ten, you get two teams in the playoff. Past years, the SEC, two teams in the playoff. We've seen it in the past, and we will see it again in the future. Only now we might see three teams, potentially even four teams in the college football playoff from one conference. So the conference supremacy argument, I think held more weight when there was only four spots in the playoff. But now that there's 12, I'm not sure people are going to be dying to push forth their agenda about which conference is better because it'll play itself out. The team that wins the college football playoff national championship, that's the team and the conference that's going to be able to pound the table. You lose, so be it. No longer do you have an opportunity to say that your conference is superior. So I, I don't know if the conference supremacy argument's going to be as important moving forward. And I don't know if these non-conference games are going to throw fuel on the fire the way they once did in the four-team model or even before that in the BCS era and the two-team model.
1: This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
0: As always, we so appreciate you guys sending in all the questions that you've sent in. We have so many that we're getting to, and I promise you we're getting to them as quickly as we can. Continue sending them in, though. When we have more episodes in July and in August, we'll have the opportunity to get to more questions from you. football at gmail.com. You can also submit them, to our Instagram and Twitter account at always CFB. Coops, where are we going? All
1: right. First question comes from Carol in Oklahoma. She asks, why does the Big 12 not try to get Oregon or Washington or Utah? I see them looking at Colorado and Arizona, but these two are not very good teams and geographical footprints don't seem to apply anymore. Why not pick up two decent teams instead of two questionable teams?
0: It's a great question. And if the Big 12 had their choice, or if the Big 12 actually had the ball in their court, 100% they would go get Oregon and Washington. If available, they would 100% go and say, hey man, we would love for you to join the Big 12. And uh, I think that that overture has probably already been made. I don't know that for sure. I don't, I don't have... People with deep, deep, deep connections to the inner workings of realignment. I hear rumors just like y'all do. If you scour the internet, you can find whatever rumor you want. But at the same time, man, if you're Oregon and Washington to realign, it takes two to tango. So while the Big 12 would 100% welcome, I believe with open arms, Oregon and Washington, why would Oregon and Washington do that right now? Knowing that they've already been vetted as a potential future member to the Big Ten. Now, I've already said, if the Big Ten expands based on my knowledge and the rumors that I've listened to and the people that I've talked to, I've talked for a while now about the likelihood of expansion out west for the Big Ten being a whole heck of a lot lower than the likelihood of them expanding down the Atlantic Coast. Now, if they could potentially get into Florida, if they could get into North Carolina, into Virginia, That I think would be the first places that the Big Ten would explore. I don't think they're going to the Pacific Northwest, but it remains a possibility. So I think the Big 12 would gladly take Oregon and Washington, but right now Oregon and Washington aren't willing to make that move, knowing that they are on the table, whether it's a 1% chance, a one in a million chance, whatever the circumstances are, there is a chance. There is a chance that Oregon and Washington could at some point be a member of the Big Ten. So I'm not sure they're really anxious to move, knowing that opportunities and they're just kind of let this thing play out to see exactly where it goes.
1: All right, next question comes from Jerry in South Carolina. Notre Dame has a new athletic director who is also an alumni. Do you think they will continue to be an independent or will they join a conference sooner rather than later? Was it a sign that Notre Dame and Miami recently became members of the AAU?
0: Well, I think what's really interesting is that Notre Dame's new athletic director, now that Swarbrick's stepping down, is Pete Bavacqua from NBC. So he is very much entrenched in the television world, right? That's his background, and he understands it like the back of his hand. He understands the inner workings. He understands where things are going. He understands the importance of streaming, all these other aspects of it. So I don't feel at this point, Like Notre Dame's really in a big hurry to move. Why would they do it? There's no point. They're leaving what is a really, really good situation for another really, really good situation. You go in the Big Ten, you sign your AAU for sure. You collectively pool all your money and opportunities together. That's great. But you lose the independence and the fluidity which, which you've operated with. For historically, as as long as I can remember. So I I don't get the sense that they are positioning themselves right now to align with the league. But I wouldn't be surprised if two or three years from now, that becomes a, a realistic possibility. So we will always keep tabs on Notre Dame, and the possibility of them aligning with a conference. But at this point, I have a difficult time thinking that an AD stepping down, a new AD coming in, getting your AAU is any indicator of what might happen in the future. So uh, ultimately, 10 years from now, will I, do I think Notre Dame will be in a conference? Yes, I do. But not today, not in 2023, and not at any point that I can tell here in the immediate future.
1: Okay, and last question today is from Tom in Austin asks, why did the Texas A&M Athletic Department come out saying that if they played Texas in 2024, that the game would be in College Station? Ross Bjork said, quote, it's going to be an epic rematch of a great rivalry, and whenever it happens, Kyle Field will be the place. What do you think of that?
0: I, I don't understand, and we've heard not just from Ross Bjork, the athletic director, on this. I've also heard from people that are real familiar with everything around Texas A&M. And look, I have the utmost respect for all the guys that are covering A&M on a daily basis. I really do. They're good friends of mine. I love them and I wish them nothing but the absolute best. But I'm trying to figure out why Texas A&M is digging in on this possibility. Like you owe us one, like, hang on, like, like you guys are coming to the league. So the first time that we play against the Longhorns is going to be in Kyle field in our backyard. Well, the last time they played back in 2011 was actually in Kyle field. So doesn't that mean that the next iteration of Texas against Texas A&M should be played in Austin. That's the way I see it. Now at the same time, well, you just brought in our big rival to the conference, so we we should get you you should get us a make good and you should you should play the game in our backyard. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with going out on the offensive and saying this is how things are going to go and and we all all be darned, man. We better have that game in our backyard. I don't agree with that. If I were in charge and by the way, there've been several examples in which I've had this conversation with You know, people that are... I'm from Texas, so I understand kind of the inner workings of the relationship between A&M and Texas. I get it. They don't like each other. Uh, I totally understand that. But if I were Texas A&M, you have proven over the last decade that you can stand independent of the Texas Longhorns. You couldn't prove that in the Big 12. You've now moved to the SEC. You have proven that you are your own brand and a remarkably strong one at that. Stop playing this inferiority complex. Just stop. Here's what I would say if I were Texas a I would say, anytime, anyplace, anywhere, we'll play the Longhorns. We're just glad to have the rivalry back. And we'll stomp on them when we get our opportunity. That's what I would say. That's what I would say. I don't like this. Well, we'll play them, but it better be on our terms and we better do it at our house. No, no, no. Anywhere, anytime, anyplace. They want to play it at our place, fine. We'll kick their butt in Kyle Field. We want to play it at Daryl K. Roll, fine. We'll kick their butt over there as well. That's the message. That's the message. Why do you think Florida State became awesome under Bobby Bowden? Anytime, any place, anywhere. Why do you think Boise State elevated to the top of college football in the mid to late 2000s? Anytime, any place, anywhere. It doesn't matter where you play the team. All that matters is putting your best foot forward to ultimately get the result that you want, and that's to win the game against your rival. Who cares where it's played? Play it on the moon, play it in Mexico, play it in Toronto, play it in Neyland Stadium in Knoxville, Tennessee. I could care less, but when I get the opportunity to tee it up against the Longhorns, I'm going to take care of business. That's what I would say if I were the Yankees, but Clearly, they continue to have that chip on their shoulder that just never seems to go away. But it's part of what we love about college football. (laughs) Great show today. So appreciate all the questions that you guys have submitted. We'll continue to just reel those off. We might just need to do, because there's. I feel like every time we do a show, there's some big picture topic that we want to spend a lot of time on, but we're probably overdue and just doing an entire show on the mailbag. Now on Wednesday's show, we're going to talk about the SEC scheduling format. They're releasing their schedule a couple days from now, so we'll break that down in its entirety, just like we did the Big Ten today. So we're looking ahead here this week on Always College Football, but I can promise you there's still plenty of time to get you prepared for the 2023 season, which is just a couple weeks away, man. I just got my media day schedule, man. Like, we are in it here very, very soon. Some additional news for us. Tyler Shuck former Oregon quarterback, current Texas Tech quarterback. He's been there for a couple years now, so do you even have to say former Oregon Duck anymore? Not really. But he has officially been named the starter by Joey McGuire. He'll get the nod week one, and then, of course, week two, one of the sneaky good games of the season. Oregon, his former team, in Lubbock for a non-conference tilt. Tyler Shuck, I got a lot of high hopes. If he could stay healthy, I got big-time expectations for the Red Raiders this year. I love them. Last year, we loved TCU, and we were way out in front of it. We felt like we nailed that one. Go back and reference it. It was like episode seven. Told you hammered the over on TCU's win total. Is Texas Tech that team this year? We're going to continue to assess, but they're on the short list for teams that we're expecting to over achieve. I told you in the open, please continue to like, rate, and subscribe. It really helps us out. If you're on the YouTube channel, hit that thumbs up. You can also subscribe to ESPN's college football YouTube channel. Or if you're on the podcast, Apple podcast, we've seen so many of you guys take a couple minutes out of your day. Please rate the podcast. If you're giving it five stars, even better. If it's four stars, we can live with it. If it's anything less, don't bother. And if you could, just take a couple seconds to leave a review. It's really helping us out. We're trying to grow. We're trying to make sure we reach more people. And with every rating and review, y'all are helping us in accomplishing that goal. If you're on Spotify, you can't leave a review, but you can leave a rating. If you can do that as well. Anywhere where you get your podcast, you can leave a rating. That'd be really beneficial to us. And I can't tell you how much we appreciate being able to bring you guys this content on a weekly basis. We love college football just like y'all. So we're going to continue to celebrate it. Continue to look at it through a positive lens and continue to get you prepared for the greatest regular season in the history of the world. That's the 2023 college football regular season. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark, Jake, Jack, I'm Greg. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.